Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Here's the exciting August 27th message titled, You Can't Confuse All, A Feast for Your Spirit. Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me once again. And I've come this morning. I'm really excited about this message that I want to share with you this morning. I think we're going to uncover some truth and I want to affirm some things for you that some of you may have been struggling with. And the title of the title of the teaching today, if I were to give this a title, was You Can't Confuse All. Religion tries, but there's that word in the New Testament that I think you have to wrestle with if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. You think that uh, being saved is a luck of the draw, predestination, or you think, uh, like an Armenian, that you can be saved today and not saved tomorrow. It's it's just a, a crapshoot. You never really know what you're going to do until you stand before God and he gives you thumbs up or thumbs down. So we're going to talk. You can't confuse this word all. So let's affirm that today, and let's explore some scripture, and let's look at this from some different angles, and let this get firmly fixed within your, your spirit, man, so that you can share it. You can't share more than what you see. So that's kind of the premise of where we're going today. I want to start a scripture we don't often use when we talk about the word all. I want to start over in Luke chapter 2, and I want to read verse 10 and 11. This is the announcement by the angel of the coming of Jesus. So Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And then we're going to move in a lot of different directions today. So stay with me. And uh, again, you don't have to feel like you've got to take a lot of notes. If you're a note taker, I'm a big time note taker. But I would suggest at the Digital Cathedral, you just come through and let the message saturate you. And then if you want to come back and listen a second time and take notes, note all the scriptures and that kind of thing, that's good. But for the first showing, I like to go for just impact. I, I want to just talk to you. I try to talk to you on Sunday on a level of spirit to spirit. I'm not talking to you mind to mind where I'm just trying to educate you. I'm trying to bring understanding. I'm trying to bring revelation to you that will be beneficial for your life. All right, let's start. You can't confuse all. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let me just read that 10th verse again. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now that's a verse, those are two verses we read a lot at Christmas time. Those that's part of the Christmas story, the announcement of the coming of Jesus. But I don't think we really examine those scriptures as as often or as deeply as what we really should, because this is the announcement. This shows the Father's heart. This shows the Father's intention and motivation of sending Jesus to begin with. It's a it's a pronouncement of good news. And in that 10th verse, I want you to notice there's no restrictions. There's no limit uh, as to who it's given to. It's directed, verse 10, it says, This shall be to all people, this good tidings of great joy. Let me get, let me get the, the exact wording. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. There's that word all. 
Just stand to me, it just stands right out. And I, I have to admit to you, for years and years, as a Christ follower, sincere Christ follower, as a sincere pastor, I never saw that word all. It's yeah, it's okay, it's for all, but you have to accept it. You have to receive it. You have to believe it. You you have to meet the conditions. Now, there's no conditions in the verse, is there? There's no stipulations. It's the word all. And what religion has done, it's made it a few based on whether you're an Arminian or whether you're a Calvinist, whether you're predestination or you got to do something yourself, exercise your faith, your will, your confession, your repentance in order to get it. Or if it's you're pre predestined, you're going to get it no matter what you're going to do, but it's only a few. There's no, there's no such requirements or stipulations on that. And so my contention this morning is if what the angels announced as good news to all, that it must be good for all or it's not good for any of us. If you're going to make the verse exclusive, then the pronouncement is not all that good. If you've got to do something to get it or you have to be predestined in order to receive it. Again, no strings attached in that verse. No conditions, no loopholes. It's not an invitation. That ver the angels were not inviting the shepherds to something. It's a flat-out declaration. Verse 10 is a, it's, it's a declaration from angels to the earth, setting the tone, setting the, setting the precedent, setting the, the path that the Savior would take. Straight from the Father's heart to every person that would ever dwell on the planet, from that time forward, it was good news for everybody. Period, paragraph, full stop. Nothing to add to that. Nothing to subtract from it. We can just take it at face value. Now, if I, were, if I were a lawyer, let me give you just real quick illustration. If I were a lawyer and I called and I said, I have good news for you and all of your family. I'm sitting here in my office reading a will. And in this will, there is more money that has been given to you and to all your family than what you probably could ever hope to spend. Now, do you think the family, all of the family would argue and debate? Do you think they would say, what's the stipulations? What's the conditions? They would just take the lawyer at his word and say, this is, this is good news. This is a, a fortune that is given to all of you. I know what I would do, and I, I know my family. We would go down there. We wouldn't argue. We wouldn't debate. We wouldn't put stipulations and conditions on it that were not in the will. Are you hearing me? We wouldn't try to, try to conjure up something that was not already spoken. We would take it at face value and say, great, here's my, here's my checking account number. Just go ahead and deposit the money straight into my checking account. Why does religion, I've really wrestled with this, why does religion detest and refute good news for all? Why is it so difficult for them to accept this thing that our Father is big enough in his omniscience and powerful enough in his omnipresence to have devised a plan for humans that would be totally inclusive and dem demonstrate his love. John certainly got it. Let me read to you two, two scriptures that <clears throat> just affirm what Luke said. First John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and I'm just going to read one verse, and then we're going to go over in, in one chapter and, and read one more verse. John chapter 4 and verse 14. Here's what John said. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son, listen to this, 
as Savior of the world. Tell me that's not good news. That's good news for everybody. He has sent him to be the Savior of the world. Now, I've looked at my Bible a lot. There's no asterisk there where down below it says, here's the conditions for him to be the Savior of the world. There's no stipulations, no loopholes. No, no fine print that you have to decipher. It just flat. It again, it's not an invitation. John doesn't make an invitation. He just simply makes a declaration. And then in the Gospel of John, he he says it again. In John chapter four and verse forty-two, then they said to the woman, "Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him." Right. We've heard him. We've heard the depth of what he's saying. We've, we've heard the message ourselves. And we know for, for that this is indeed Christ, here it is again, the Savior of the world. Now, you've got you to have an evangelical pastor help you to misunderstand this. 1 John 4.14 and John chapter 4, verse 42. You've got to have an evangelical theologian help you to misunderstand it because it's just plain clear out in black and white that he is the savior of the world. Jesus came with a message. He came with a message of good news. And he, he packed it with joy and good tidings that would be to absolutely everybody. Yet many of us doubt it. We say, we look at it and say, this is just too good to be true. That's what I thought when I first heard this message of grace. When I first began to see grace and I started really, you know, probing around, poking around in it to see what the depth of it was, I began, there were days I go, this is too good to be true. What, what, how have I missed this? What, how, how have I not been able to see this? A lot of people doubt it. They argue with it rather than just simply take it. What, why, why is it hard to, to, to acknowledge that everybody's going to show up at the party? There's no exclusion to this. It's very inclusive. That is a Luke chapter 2, verse 10, 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, Big John, Gospel John chapter 4, verse 42. It's about as inclusive as you can get. So if you're having a struggle with inclusion, you're not struggling with me. You're struggling with what, with what your book says because it lays it out very plainly. I think a lot of us have become so sophisticated and, and intricate. I call them theological mechanics. They become, you know, they know what screwdriver to use and which wrench to use to get it to turn and be just how they want it to be. We become so fine-tuned in our theology, and then we become so arrogant about it that if anybody disagrees with us, anybody sees it a different way than we do, we call them a heretic. We call them a false teacher, or worse. I've been called all of those things because I've, I've stepped out of the box. I've just looked at this and said, this seems pretty evident to me. This seems pretty plain. I'm a simple guy. Uh, I've, I've studied a lot. I've got degrees. But basically, it comes down, I think Jesus hit the, hit the nail on the head. I think he revealed the heart attitude to fully grasp the gospel in its simplicity, its, in, its, inclus, its inclusiveness, the fatherhood of God. I think, I think Jesus revealed the attitude in Matthew chapter 18. Look at this. This is, this is the attitude I think I want us to have at the Digital Cathedral. I want us to be like the Bereans and search and study and find out where these things be. But there's an element of this that I think is extremely important. And Jesus said this. 
Jesus called a little child and set him in the midst of them and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted, change, and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom. Now, we're talking about things that enable us to enter or to live out the kingdom. Now, whether you, you remain as a child or you become so sophisticated that you think you got it all nailed down, doesn't change doesn't change the objective fact and reality that he is the savior of the world. But I'm going for something bigger than that. I'm going for people that know how to demonstrate, manifest as sons, know how to demonstrate the kingdom, and walk in the fullness of it. He said, verse 4, Therefore, whosoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So it's all about simplicity. He's saying there's a dimension to this all that needs to be simplistic. I, when I think of a child, I think how, how children are just so in wonderment about things. They're just in, just in awe. And that's how we get revelation is when we become simplistic. We look at, as a child. I mean, look at first John 4.14, John 4.42, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, verse 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 10. And just look at it as a child. And then ask all the questions you want. That's one thing about children. They ask a lot of questions. Never stop asking questions no, much, no matter how much revelation you get. Never stop asking questions. Never stop examining. We want to be like little children and ask questions. We want to be like little children ever learning. We want to be like little children and experience new things continually. Always asking questions. Matter of fact, I Googled this week. I was kind of interested. I, I Googled how many questions a day does a five-year-old answer or ask. I was blown away. I had no idea. From what I saw on my Google search, I don't know if it's scientific or it's true or not, but it, it dazzled me. What I found on Google was a five-year-old asks between two and 300 questions a day. A day. Yet I know, I know, I have friends that are pastors, ministers, teachers that don't ask one question, never ask a question about anything they believe. They just lap it up, lock, stock, and barrel. Here's what I find, and this is what's so amazing about this journey, you guys. This is why I, I come over here excited. I want you to catch the all. The more that I see, the more I desire to see. And the more I desire to see, the more I want to see, and the more that I actually see. Now, here's a discovery. Check this out. See if this isn't true in your life. In all of the revelation, in all of the insight, in all of the opening of your eyes, the awakening, the expanding of your consciousness, however you want to phrase it, in everything that has taken place, you have not discovered one thing from the spirit of truth that has produced fear, or anxiety, or um, make you nervous, you know, you have not discovered, he has not brought to you anything that, that makes that happen in your life. What he brings to you brings security. It brings, it brings a steadiness. It brings some strong foundation. There's nothing he brings that's going to make you fear. Now, let's come back to this, this all, because the message to all is good. The message to all is great joy. 
You cannot feel good and have great joy if you if you think that part of this message, maybe you're not understanding, or maybe maybe you didn't pray enough, or maybe you didn't repent enough, you didn't cry enough, debal enough, didn't beg God, didn't cry out enough. You know, you're just not sure. You, that 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 cannot make for the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Jesus came to give us an abundant life from the get go. What he came. And what he expressed his mission to be was totally good. Look at this. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Jesus himself, out of his own mouth, tells us exactly what his mission is. Watch this. Luke chapter 4. I want to read just verses 18 and 19. Jesus is in church. He just came out of the wilderness. He goes into church. They hand him the book, and he reads. And this is what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can I tell you today the Spirit of the Lord is on you? You may not recognize it, but where, where you go, it's going to create some questions. You're going to find, why are people all of a sudden, they're, I thought they were good friends. They don't seem to be good friends anymore. They're questioning everything. Not, not in a good way. They're challenging me. They're rebuking me. They're casting me aside. This, he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In other words, he's, he's anointed me. You have an anointing. 1 John 2, verse 20, verse 27. Both verses tell you that you have an anointing, and that anointing abides in you. You don't have need that anybody teach you. And I always put the caveat, doesn't mean you become unteachable. Doesn't mean you don't listen to anybody. I listen to people. I have friends that, that will help me stay on track. They let me expand as fast as I can expand, but they're not afraid to challenge me and then listen to what I have to say. But you have an anointing. Now, here Jesus said, I have an anointing. Now, watch how good this is. Watch how inclusive this is. He didn't put stipulations, doesn't put conditions. He said, this is what I'm here to do. This is my, what I'm anointed. This is my mission. An, an anointing is a divine enablement. You have a divine enablement. Let me just read what Jesus' was. Preach the gospel to the poor. Set me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those that are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's seven things right there. And every one of them are good news. Every one of them puts somebody on the receiving end of what is good news. They, they, they are all giving out of himself without any demand of receiving anything in recompense or back, back to himself. Now, here's what I want you to notice. He, he didn't put, say this is just for people that pray the prayer. <laughs> he didn't say this is for people who have been water baptized. I'm here to do these things. Every, every one of those seven are good things. He's fulfilling what the angel pronounced. He's come with good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now he's saying, this is how I'm going to express it. This is how I'm going to show it. No stipulations, no condition. It's given to everybody freely. Wherever I go, Scripture says he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So he didn't, he didn't just go to certain people groups. He did, he did come to the Jews. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel by his own confession. So he's, he's moving in, in that, that people group. But there's, there's nothing in here of being anointed to judge people. 
Jesus said, I don't have an anointing to condemn. I don't have an anointing. I don't have a special gift to tell you you're headed to hell. You're going to burn forever in, in a, a specialized torture chamber that the Father has fire stronger than the ovens of Nebuchadnezzar that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tossed in. None of that. He said, I am here present with you. And here's what the Father sent me to do. Heal the brokenhearted. Set the oppressed free. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is a return of everything that you've lost. And he said, I'm going to do that without stipulation. It's for all. There's that word. It's there for all. You'll clearly see the Father's heart in what I'm doing. You with me? All right. The, how, do we, how did we get such so balled up in all our theology and our beliefs and 42,000 denominations? I'll tell you exactly how we did it. Because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And rather than going within and seeking what the Father says, living out what he shows us, religion made determinations of what they thought was good and evil, right and wrong. And they set it into law. And it's brought great confusion. It's brought exclusivity instead of inclusiveness to the people of the planet. And until we get back to the right tree, we're going to continue to see that. We're going to continue to see that exclusivity. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil got us into the, into the mess. The tree of life is going to get us out. There's many, many people today that are beating a path from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're tired. They're wore out of their decisions and their choices. <clears throat> they realize that it's not been healthy. It's not been good. It has led religion down the wrong path, and now we're coming back over to the tree of life. You know what the tree of life is? It's simply the tree of response. It's simply doing what you see the Father do and saying what you hear the Father say. Isn't that what Jesus testified about himself? I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. Tree of life. Jesus did not make his own theological determinations. He didn't exclude anybody out. He came and listened to the Father, and wherever the Father sent him, he healed the brokenhearted. He delivered those that were captive. He preached the gospel to the poor. See, that's good news. The tree of life will kryptonite totally. A better scriptural way to say it is it will shine the light on the darkness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The good news is, and this is the good news to everybody, we can all eat from the tree of life. And yet some people take what Jesus said in, in trying to make a good message for everybody, and it was a religion of the day that did it, the Pharisees, they took what, what Jesus said when he was warning them about the invasion of the Roman army in 70 AD, that Jerusalem was going to be overrun, the temple was going to be destroyed. He was given an advance warning, and they turned that into a bad news message of... God's going to destroy us. God's going to destroy us. And at the end of the age, and now we've taken that, that bad news message of what was Jesus was talking to the Jews about, what would happen in 70 AD, and we've made the end of the age, and we've turned it into bad news for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, people have been nervous, uptight, anxious, fearful. Jesus may, may just... Uh, uh, come back any second. The rapture may happen any minute. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not coming back before breakfast. I don't care what the pastor told you. He, did, he didn't put us here to take us out. 
Are you really settled? See, that's not good news. Are you really settled within yourself? And I'm asking you that are part of the digital cathedral because this is important. Are you settled within yourself that Jesus was only the carrier and the proclaimer of good news for all? That you cannot exclude anybody. Now, it's maybe hard to believe, but John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, at one point doubted it. John found himself in prison. Jesus' cousin was in prison for exposing King Herod. I'm not going to get into the story, but basically King Herod was having, in a, um, had taken his brother Philip's wife to be his wife. John the Baptist called him on it. John the Baptist said, what you're doing is not right. And so Herod put him in prison, and he was being punished, and he eventually was beheaded for that deed. And so while he's sitting in prison, he's thinking to himself, I thought Jesus came with good news. Here I am. I'm his cousin. And I was just, I was just doing the, the right thing, what I felt was the proper thing. And so he gets a little discouraged and he questions because of circumstances if Jesus is who he said he was, the proclaimer and the carrier of good news to all. Because it sure don't look like good news to John now that he's in prison. In Matthew chapter 11, it kind of, it kind of picks up on that story. So let me, let me just outline this for you. Because I think sometimes people get... Into, get themselves, as John did, into circumstances. John should have never been in that situation. He should have never been into it. I'm not saying that what he said to Herod was wrong, but I'm saying if he would have been eaten from the tree of life, I don't think the Father would have directed him to say what he said. Now, maybe his, his mission was done. I, I, I don't know about all that. I just know that he questioned Jesus. So it says in Matthew chapter 11, let me just pick it up here in verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you really the guy that's coming with good news, good tidings for everybody? Jesus answered instead of them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Back to Luke 14. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus says, look, go back and tell him. Everything that I said when I came out of the wilderness, went into the temple, what I was anointed to do, I'm doing exactly that. And I'm bringing freedom to everybody. Go, go tell John the things that I said I'm doing. I'm only bringing good news into the planet. Now here, here's what I want us all to see. Here's what I want us to see. We all have a commission from the Father. Every one of us. Let me, let me read it for you. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We all have a commission. You have a commission. I have a commission. John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying in verse 18. He says, As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus is, is communing with the Father. And he says, Father, the same way you sent me into the earth. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Good news. Glad tidings for everybody. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the sick. 
Bind up the brokenhearted. All, the, all those seven things that I just read to you from Luke 4.18. Jesus said, I'm sending them into the world to do the exact same things. All right, look, look at me in the eye. You'll never live out a good news message greater than what you believe. Do you believe that you have a, a, a commission? Do you believe that you have a message? Do you believe that your, your message is to continue the good tidings of great joy to all people? Do you believe that? Jesus came to deliver all people. Then he said in that 17th chapter, you sent me, I'm sending them exactly the same way. Now hear me, if you miss everything else I say this morning, I'm only, I'm, I'm just a little bit into the message. I'm going to, this message I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to teach it till I'm done this morning. If I run over and you have to go, go, but come back and pick it up. The good news that he, he carried, he said, I want you guys to go and do the same thing. Luke 4.18, I want you to go and heal the broken heart. I want you to go and set the oppressed free. I want you to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the recovery of all that you've lost. Can I just tell you this morning, that's how we manifest as sons. That's how we, that's how we manifest the kingdom. That's how we live in the kingdom. Jesus came to pronounce the kingdom. And I hear kingdom teaching, but I, I don't hear much spe specifics about it, except, well, the kingdom of God is to be, and the kingdom is the rule of God. No, wait a minute. Let's get down where we walk this thing out. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 is the commission that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and do what he had done. So what you and I need to go and do is Luke chapter 4, verse 18. You should meditate on Luke 4, 18 until it settles down deep in your spirit and you understand and you feel, you feel the unction to function in those seven things that Jesus said he came to do. As we see him more clearly, we see his grace, we see his inclusion, we see his union with the Father. You know what that does? That opens up our eyes to see more. That opens up our eye. When we see more about him, it enables us to see more about us and what we are then free to share with other people. You can only share what you see. You can only share what has become revelation and true to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I try to, to nail this stuff down. I know uh, I don't need a scripture verse for everything I say, but I know most of us come from a background where we like to have a scripture verse. So let me just... Let me just make this, as my old friend Darren Begley would say, let me just make this legal. You got to have a verse. All right. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the presence of God, his anoint, the presence, the, the anointing, everything that he is, that's his glory. And we're being transformed into the same image of what you see. If you see more, then there's more that you can be transformed into. We're being transformed into the same image, and it is progressive. It goes from glory to glory. Do you see that? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Spirit of the Lord is going to take you one dimension to the next dimension to the next dimension. And as he does, you're going to see the glory of the Lord. Now, the, 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 the key there is with an open face. That means no veil. That means no covering, no blindness, no, no, nothing covering your heart, nothing that is trying to uh, uh, jack with your perception. You see him exactly as he is. And as that grows sharper, as the focus gets better, 
then you see more of what he is going to transform you into. The more you, the more you hammer down Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and say, this is, this is what lights my fire. This is what cranks my engine. And you don't have to run out into the streets and, and you know, act crazy. But wherever the Father leads you, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, before whatever people, automatically you're going to know if, if they're oppressed, you can set them free. If they're in bondage, you can set them free. If they're poor, you can preach the gospel to you know what the gospel, you know what the good news of the poor is? You don't have to be poor anymore. You can preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You can help them to understand they can recover everything that they feel that they have ever lost. Looking at his glory, looking at his heart, his mission, the totality of his person. The 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 Apostle John really, really got it. He, he nailed it down. He saw the good news. He saw the good news with no bad news. He saw Jesus as the Savior of the world. He saw the commission of Jesus in John 17. And he saw, saw that Jesus was commissioning us to do the same thing. He witnessed the, the, the 70 that went out. Remember, Jesus empowered the 70 to go out and cast out devils. 70 came back. They were all pumped up. They were so excited. The devils were subject to them. And you know what Jesus said? He said, don't, don't, get, all, don't get all hyped on that. He said, here's the thing you really need to get hyped on. And this is pre-cross. Pre-cross. He said, you need to be exceedingly happy that your names are written in heaven. Pre-cross and their names were already written in heaven. That's good news. That is good news. People strive and strive and strive. Make sure their name's in the book of life. He is the book of life and you are inscribed within him. Your life is hidden with Christ. No way you're coming out of that. No way you're coming out of that. See, we've, what, what we've done is we've we said the book of life is this big old book God's got. He's got everybody's name in it and some columns on it. What you did good, he gives you a check. If you did something bad, he gives you a check. So at the end of the day, the good check's got to weigh the bad check so he can give you a, a thumbs up. Pre-cross. He said your name is written there. So what, what, do we, what do we focus on? Don't focus on getting your name in a book. Focus on being transformed into the image, the revelation that you see of him. Let me give you a couple verses. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let me read just the first three verses. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, or the conclusion. The world does not know us because it did not know him, beloved. Now, now, now. Everybody say now. I heard you. Okay, good. Now we are the children of God. It has not been revealed what we shall be. It's a process. It's glory to glory. I, I just showed you that from Scripture. But we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when he becomes, when that, when that revelation of him becomes stronger, when we see him more as he really is, see his message, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope in himself purifies himself even as he's pure. So in this verse, we see the image and the likeness. He said, now we are the children of God. That's our image. And we shall it's a development. It's an ongoing process. Likeness, we shall be like him. So there's, there's two parts here. Image is stamped into you indelibly. You're his child. Now we're the children of God. 
But when we see him more clearly, we see him more clearly, we're transformed into that likeness as the veil comes off our face. And we see him, we see him as he is, we shall be like him. And the walking out of that, the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 17, says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because you've already been judged righteous. Because as he is, so are we in this present world. You can't carry more than your revelation of as he is. As he is in this present world. You, that, that is a great verse to ponder. Think about how Jesus is today. Is he the conqueror? Is he the healer? He's a, everything. Just contemplate on that. And he then has sent you into the world to be as he is in this present world. All right. I've said all of that this morning to say this. This message is revealing you. It's revealing your assignment. It's good news of great joy. That's already settled down within us. We've already established. We're comfortable with the fact that we are now the children of God. We're developing. We're progressing into a more clear image of him all the time. And so now we see that Jesus came. He came for a lot of different reasons. But I think two of the basic reasons that Jesus came was, number one, to show us to ourselves so that we could see who we are by looking at him. The more we look at him, the more we understand who we are. The more we look at him, the more we are transformed into what we see. Are, are you with me? In other words, he came to reveal in himself to us who we've always been, but didn't know it. We were blind to it. Our eyes were closed. Sat in church all our life. Heard the same 10 or 12 messages over and over and over and over again. Maybe with a different title. But we didn't... We were never told that we were image and likeness of God from before the foundation, who we were from the Father's perspective, that we needed to repent, metanoia, change our minds from the lie of separation. We never heard emphasize John 14, 20, that he is in us and we're in him and he's in the Father and the Father's in him and the Father's in us and we're all in union together. Never heard much teaching on that. Religion is, has chosen on purpose to keep the lie going, and that is, and that is the, 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 the major lie of separation. There's so many verses in Scripture that reveal our authentic identity. Can I let you know an in, inside secret? Anything that Adam did did not change the heart of the Father toward man. The love of the Father toward man never changed. He absolutely refused to separate himself from man. Went looking for Adam. Adam ran, separated himself. Father never separated, never would separate, never has. Adam ate from the wrong tree, and he created in his mind this false God that is still here today, a God that's angry, vindictive, judicial, judgmental. And then along, along comes men in the past when they begin to, rewrite scripture and they take the word Gehenna and Hades and put the word, the pagan word, hell in its place and then define what that is. Never the intention, never the heart of the Father. He, Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's moved us into what we are. Jesus came to say, look, you can eat from the tree of life. You can have the life that I want to give to you. 
the game changer revelation is when you see you were not born a sinner. You were born as a child of God. You say, I, I was? <clears throat> Absolutely. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and let, let's pick it up with verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians, a couple of pages over. Ephesians chapter 1. Read this in, read this in verse 3. This is, this is good news of great joy, which is to all people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. If that's not good news, I don't know what it is. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. That's his, that's his sight. That's his perspective. We're holy and without blame before him. That's what he decided from before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ. Now, I've had people tell me, I've had pastors say, that's only for the Ephesian church. He only wrote that to the Ephesian Christians. Are you telling me then that he only chose the Ephesian Christians before the foundation of the world? Are you telling me they were, only, they were predestined then? The rest of us were not? Are you telling me God plays favorites? He's a respecter of people? No, 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 no. There, there's no stipulation. He didn't say, I'm just writing this for you Ephesians. He's, he's giving them a foundation upon which they could live and how they could see other people. We don't see people after the flesh. We see them as in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's good news. The Father, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say. The Father had the solution before there ever was a problem. Before Adam ever messed up, before I ever messed up or you messed up. He already solved the problem and put us in Christ before the foundation of the world. If that's not inclusion, if that's not an unconditional love that we have a hard time fathoming, I don't know what is. Look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just a little bit to your right, 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> and let me just read verses 8, 9, and 10. Again, he, this is what Paul is, to, is dispensing to young Timothy. So this is what, he want, this is what he's instilling into Timothy. First, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm a little bit ahead of myself this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you're taking notes, which I said don't take notes, listen. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what Paul imparts to his young son in the gospel. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. You, you teach the real gospel. You teach what I'm teaching this morning you're going to suffer some pushback, I'll tell you for sure. You're going to find out all your friends down at the church aren't really your friends. They were associates as long as you believed what they believed. But when you don't believe what they believe anymore, you're kicked to the curb. Pastor ain't going to call you. The elders aren't going to call you. They're going to forget about you. It's a shame, but it's the truth. He said, don't, don't worry about it. He said, just hang in there. Verse 9, who has... According to the power of God, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to your faith, your confession, your believing, your right theology. Those are all works. A work is an action that you feel you must do in order to complete a transaction with God. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose and his grace. Watch which was given to us in Christ Jesus 
before time began. Why didn't I ever see that verse? When's the last time you heard, heard the pastor teach on that verse? When's the last time you heard him read this verse out and break it down? According to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began. Tell me that's not great tidings of good joy. Good tidings of great joy. Tell me that's, this, is, this isn't a fulfillment of what the angel said. This is what Jesus is coming to give y'all. You need, to, you need to get your praise dance on because he's already done this for you. Before there was ever a problem, there was a solution. So in the mind of God, there was never a problem. There was never separation. You were never outside to him. He made provision. And then John chapter 8, or Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let me just read verses 29, 30, 31. 29 to 31. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He, can I tell you, he foreknew all of us. Nobody slipped into the planet, fell through the cracks without his knowledge. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is what God said in motion. You and I are going through that conforming process by opening our eyes to see what we've never seen before. You're getting a new perspective on the levels and the depth of God's grace, his love, his inclusion, his mercy that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Moreover, those that he predestined, he also called, and those that he called, he justified. Made you just as if you had never done anything ever wrong, which you have never done in his eyes. And those that he justified, he also glorified. So what am I saying this morning? I'm saying that he has embedded within us the good news. He's embedded within us the gospel. So the first thing that Jesus really came to do is to show us to us. Second thing that I think he really came to do, which fits into my, my theme scripture this morning, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Second thing that he came to do was to destroy every false concept that had been developed about God the Father. And boy, there's a bunch of them in the Old Testament. They were, they, were, they were teaching the best that they knew. They were writing the best they knew. They were giving the most revelation that they had. But frankly, it was a bunch of misinformation that drew some false concepts from some false deities that many of them had worshipped and just transferred over to the Father of Jesus, to the one that, that made us in his image and likeness. And it was information. And so they presented this, this Zeus. Uh, angry, judgmental, hostile, murdering, multi-person, almost as, at times as schizophrenic. And that, that God has blended itself, check this out, has blended itself into the doctrine and the theology and the teaching that we do today. One Sunday you go to church. I know because I, I was a pastor. I didn't, I'm going to tell you something, most pastors are pretty sincere. They're hardworking. They, they love people. They love God. But they're a product, I was a product of my preacher factory that I went to, got my degree, fell off the end of the assembly line, they attached systematic theology, Pauline epistles, some Greek. I fell off the line and I was ready to go pastor a church. All I knew is what they put into me. I didn't know anything else, didn't know what to ask, even ask questions. And so one Sunday I would tell the people, and this is still going on today because of a false concept of God. One Sunday, I would tell the people how much God loved them unconditionally. God is a God of love, loves you all unconditionally. 
Next Sunday, they come back and I tell them, Bon God, that if you're not obedient to, if you're not dedicated to, if you don't love him with all of your heart, if you're not holy as he is holy, he will torture you forever in literal fire. Now, I, I wouldn't be that dramatic or that picturesque, but I would, I would couch it in nicer terms, but that's what I would say. I would say, you know, if you don't meet, in essence, if you don't meet the conditions, this is how hypocritical it was. We didn't even know it. If you don't meet the conditions of unconditional love, he will cast you into outer darkness for all eternity. So the 70 years that you live, you're going to make a decision that will last the eons of time. Isn't that amazing? Of course, we, we never put it on God. We never said that was God that was doing that. We said it was our free will choice. So think about this. A God who allowed you, according to evangelical theology, according to our church background, a God who allowed you to be born a sinner, separated from him, with an edemic nature, bent toward evil, spiritually dead, unable on your own to do anything well, you can't even hear God. In that, in that dead, lost, separated, no spirit life reality, you're supposed to make a choice that will please him. You're supposed to make a choice that will last for eternity. Now you can see how fear was, was woven into that to motivate you to make a choice and say you believe even if you didn't. I looked so many people in prayer after church. End of the message, I did the normal thing. Anybody here doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, all you that raise your hand, come to the front. Elders will be here. Pray the prayer. Accept Jesus. You prayed to prayer. You believe, right? Okay, you're in the family. Now we put you in a discipleship class, train you for six, eight weeks, exactly what we believe, why you need to believe it, and don't believe anything other than this. Get outside that box. It's heresy. It's air. You're going you're gonna to be back in the mess that you were in. Jesus modeled the true father. Jesus modeled the ultimate act of love by laying his life down allowing religious zealots to murder him in the most cruel fashion. Those that never knew the Father, he allowed that to demonstrate his love, to show his, the heart of the Father, so the motivation of the Father. Do you think that kind of motivation, that kind of heart could ever, ever dislodge himself from one of his creations? Of course not. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Let me give a Keithley translation to that verse. When you know and you become intimately acquainted with truth himself, you're going to be set free of every hindrance, every blockage, every obstacle, every snare that would stop you from living the abundant kingdom life in this world today. The gospel is the arrival of truth, man. Truth himself set his feet on the planet with a good news message that included A-L-L-all. -L you can study all in Greek <laughs> as deep as you want to go, and you're going to come to the conclusion that every time all is used in the Bible, in the New Testament, it means all. There's no variation to it. The kingdom that Jesus introduced contains exceedingly, abundantly, 
above anything we could ask or imagine. We're discovering more every day. Thank God for that. But it's abundantly, exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or think. But you know what? And I'm done with this. We're learning step by step to live in the kingdom 24 7, 365. And it's an exciting journey. And can I just tell you, I haven't told you in a while. I'm going to tell you this morning. I couldn't choose a better group of people to make the journey with than you that are on the Digital Cathedral. Those of you that come to Secret Place Wednesday night, man, we, we get in there, we, we share, and we talk about deep things of God. I couldn't make a trip with a greater. I, I, I'm really... I. I've done this so many years, but I'm more excited today than I've ever been. I'm, I'm more motivated. I'm more hungry than I've ever been in my life to see him more clearly that I can be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. All right, God bless you. I got to wrap it up. Thank you for being with me again today. Thank you for all your prayers. Thank you for your monthly support. That is what keeps us going, honestly. Let's us do what we do. Do the technical things that need to be done. Pay the people we need to pay. And we keep going on. This, this, this message, this, this group of people are having an impact on the entire world. And can I just tell you something? Your, your, comments, your comments mean a lot. When the, when, the, when the teaching is over, the comments you make during the teaching you see, but when you make a comment after the teaching is over on YouTube, that touches people around the world. You're part of taking this gospel worldwide. And people are being transformed by it. Thank you so much. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. Back next Sunday morning, we'll put another brick in the wall. See you then. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth. And for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.